So as I mentioned, today is uh, Palm Sunday. Some call it Passion Sunday. It's according kind of to what direction you take. Uh, many pastors today will preach on uh, the crucifixion or leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ uh, to Good Friday. But today we're going to look at uh, the Palm Sunday side of things as Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. I don't know if you have ever gotten caught up in the moment. Have you ever been in the crowd where everything is so excited and everyone is so up that you just get caught up in it? You know, most of the time, most of us, what we would do is, oh, if it's something exciting, we may clap our hands, we may, may you know, shout a little bit, but often most of us don't get caught up into the crowd. But there are times that it just happens. Something exciting is happening and you get caught up in the moment. Some of you probably are those that would lead that moment and get everyone else to follow along. In July of 1994, uh, that was my first trip to Disney World in Orlando. Never been before. I'd been to Disneyland when I was two years old, but had never been to Disney World before. And um, it was a, a stupid thing to do. Uh, it really was, not because I shouldn't have necessarily or hate uh, Disney World, uh, but I had just had surgery. I had kidney surgery. Uh, I was the eighth person in the world to ever have this particular surgery. Uh, if you will come to Sunday school, I'll tell you about um, how that kind of unfolded. Um, but following that surgery, we had already planned to go to Disney World as a family, and we stayed at the Caribbean Beach. I don't know if it's Caribbean or Caribbean. You can, in your mind, figure that out. But uh, we stayed at that resort on the property. And one night, we decided to, if you've ever been, you know about this, uh, they have fireworks, you know, every night at Cinderella's Palace, and you can go to Main Street, and you can be with all the crowds and enjoy the parade, and at the end of the parade, all the fireworks go off. And so we were making our way. We decided this particular night that we were going to stay in the park, and we wanted to see the fireworks and the parade. And everybody else did, too, because as we were making our way to Main Street, uh, the crowd gathered, and the crowd gathered, and before we knew it, we were in a crowd. I mean, we were just in the middle of this crowd, and there was nowhere to go. There was no way to do anything but move with the crowd. If you stopped, you were going to get knocked down and trampled. And so, I remember one guy began to yell, and another guy began to yell, and uh, I looked at Chris and I said, if there's a riot, just hold my hand and I'll get you out of here. Um, we decided that we were going to try to make our way, you know, you can kind of push against the flow. And we were pushing and I said, let's all push to the right. And we began to push and a little ways down the road, we were able uh, to get to the side out of the, uh, the crowd. But I will tell you, it was shocking. It was shaking. It was like, wow, I can't believe that just happened because everyone that was in that crowd had one thing in mind. And their one thing is 
we're going to get to Main Street of Disney in front of Cinderella's Palace so that I can see what I want to see. And in that case, it was fireworks. Today is Jesus' triumphal entry. We know that he rode a donkey. Have you ever looked at a donkey's back? A donkey's back has a cross on it. And it is so interesting. As you look, this brown line that comes down the center of his back and over his shoulders, the brown line that crosses down over his shoulders. Look at a donkey's back and you will see the cross on top of the donkey. I don't know about you, but um, I've often imagined about being there. What would it look like if I was there on the side of the road? What would I see? Would I be the one that jumped in with the crowd and hollered, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord? What group would I have fallen into? In a few moments, I'm going to tell you there's at least four groups that were there that day. And maybe you can think, okay, I would be in this group if I was standing beside the road that day. If you have your Bibles, love for you to follow along. This account is in all four Gospels. And as you know, there are some things that are only in the Synoptic Gospels, and much of John is different than the Synoptic Gospels. But here, this account is in all four Gospels. Not exactly the same account as far as it's rendered, but listen to what John says. Beginning with verse 12. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast When they heard that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it as it was written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming seated on a donkey's coat. These things his disciples did not understand at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done and that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts Be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. I pray, Father, this morning that you would illuminate our hearts and minds for what you would hold for us through this, your holy word. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Those of you that have grown up in the church, you've heard this passage from one of the gospel accounts many, many times before. You probably would think there is nothing to hear again. I've heard it preached in every way, and that may be true. But I would pray that you would... 
for just a momentary moment this morning, look at this passage again with me and see what God holds for us in this His Holy Word. John begins this passage with, on the next day. On the next day. What has led up to this moment of time the next day? If you remember last week, we talked about Lazarus and Jesus had been beyond the Jordan, and he gets word that Lazarus is sick. Ultimately, Lazarus dies. Four days later, Jesus shows up. He comes, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus is alive. The synoptic gospels tell us after that that Jesus is in Jericho. After the raising of Lazarus, Jesus is in Jericho, and he's making his way back now to Jerusalem. And he comes now, as John will tell us, it's six days before the Passover. And he arrives in Bethany, and he is there, and he is again with the three siblings. He is there with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And so it is here that Mary is sitting at his feet, and she's anointing him with very, very, very expensive perfume. And many take issue with that. Large crowds had gathered. You remember when Jesus raised Lazarus, there was mourning going on, and people had come out to the house, to Bethany, um, and they were there with Mary and Martha. And as you remember in chapter 11, it says that the Jews had come out to mourn and, to, and to, to be with them. And they followed Jesus to the tomb where they had laid Lazarus. And it was there that they witnessed Lazarus being raised from the dead. And so they went and they told the Pharisees and others that were in the city about what had happened. And so... Verse 9, prior to our text here, says that the large crowd of Jews then learned that he was there. In other words, they had learned he had come back from Jericho, that he had now back in Bethany, that he was there and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Interesting. They came to Bethany, not necessarily just to see Jesus, but they came to see Lazarus. And so John begins on verse 12 with, and on the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast. This is a, a, another piece of the puzzle of this crowd that had gathered there. They come to see Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And so the day after he has at Bethany with the, the three siblings as he has had supper with them, Mary has anointed his feet, the next day he is preparing to go in to town. Why now? It's very clear why now. Daniel 9 prophesied that the Messiah would come in at a specific time into Jerusalem. In fact, Daniel tells us that 
Artaxerxes' decree uh, rebuilding the temple at 445 B.C. From that point, and there's math involved here in Daniel 9, and I'm not going to go through all the math this morning, but um, it's seven weeks and 62 weeks, and then you have to multiply and finally get to a point of where the date is A.D. 30. You see, Daniel, God through Daniel prophesied of the exact time that Jesus would come into Jerusalem. It's God's perfect time. God doesn't do anything happenstance. Everything is according to his time and his way. And many believe that it is A.D. 30. It is now, this is the time of Jesus' crucifixion. And the crowds are coming out to see Jesus. So the question would be, who are these crowds? Who makes up these crowds? And I believe there's at least four groups of people that make up the crowds that day on the side of the road as Jesus is making his way in from the Mount of Olives down the Kidron Valley into Jerusalem. That first group is those visiting Jerusalem. It says in verse 12 that there were many that had come to the feast. There are calculations that have been made, people that have studied and said that there was probably an excess of a million people in and around Jerusalem for this Passover. Now that doesn't sound like many to many of us today as far as the size of a city because we have city of many millions today uh, around the nation um, and so we might not think that a million people in and around Jerusalem is very much, but it was huge at that time to have that many people around. And verse 18 tells us that this crowd that had heard about Jesus being back, that they went out because they had heard of the mystery, this miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus. And so many came out out of curiosity. Those that were visiting, those that had heard, they came out out of curiosity to see this man that was able to raise a dead man to life. They got caught up in the moment. They got caught up in what was taking place. Here is Jesus coming into Jerusalem. The second group, I think, that was there that day were those that I'm just terming as the local people. And this would include the family of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. This would include the disciples. This would include those that had followed Jesus from Galilee, those that had come with him in to celebrate this Passover. This, these were the people that believed in Jesus, had been part of his ministry, these that loved him, had heard him preach, had really sacrificed for him, leaving their families to follow him. This group was there that day with Jesus. There's a third group that was on the side of the road that as Jesus made his way in, and that group is the religious leaders. We know from verse 19 they were there, but we clearly know from Luke 19, verses 39 and 40, that they 
are present. Now, this is the same group of people that had wanted Jesus dead before. During his ministry, you remember in Galilee, they wanted to stone him. They wanted to push him off a cliff. They wanted him dead. In fact, they asked for people, if you can tell us where he is and we have an opportunity to arrest him, we want him arrested. These people were on the side of the road because Luke tells us that they yell out to Jesus and says to him, keep your disciples quiet. Tell them to shut up. And Jesus responds, if I tell my disciples to shut up, the very stones are going to cry out praise to me. So they were there. They were frustrated. They were angry. They wanted Jesus dead. And then there was a fourth group that had to be there. Now, the first three groups, certainly you can see in Scripture that each of the gospel writers depict that these certainly were part of the crowd. But nowhere in Scripture does this fourth group actually show up. But I've got to believe they were there. And that's the Roman soldiers. You see, there would be no way that the Roman soldiers or the, the guard would allow thousands of people to be lined up on the side of the road yelling at a man on a donkey without being present to see what was going on, to make sure the crowd didn't get so far out of hand that there was a riot or something that would take place that would harm the leadership, the government that they were sworn to protect. And so there had to be, had to be, this Roman guard that was present there. And so these four groups, I believe, were there on the side of the road. Now, Jesus, John says, found a donkey colt. So did he just find one? Well, John gives us that he found a colt, but we know from the synoptics what happened. Jesus sent his disciples into the city, and he says, you will find a donkey's colt there, a donkey with a colt, and you tell their master that the master has need of it, and they will allow you to bring them to me. And so they bring them back. The thing that John tells us in his writing in verse 15 is that Zechariah 9.9 is fulfilled. This is what Zechariah says. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. And so everything, again, is by God's plan, is carried out to fruition by what God has desired, what God has made and planned to happen not only was the timing right, but how the descent from the Mount of Olives was correct. Jesus comes in that day riding on a donkey's colt. And the people begin to celebrate. They get excited. They get caught up in the moment. They began to, to shout. They began to, to leap. They began to praise God. They began to shout hosannas to him. But what is interesting is the disciples, John says in verse 16, didn't understand 
until the coming glory, the Holy Spirit. But at the first of the week, now this week that Jesus, this Passion Week of Jesus, as he enters into Jerusalem, the multitude was passionate at the beginning of the week. They cut branches from the palm trees. They began to, to wave them. They began to take their coats and they began to lay them down in front of Jesus as he passed through. They began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And John adds, even the king of Israel. They were shouting from the Halil Psalms, Psalm 113 to 118. And, and this particular line comes from Psalm 118. In that brief, momentary moment, the crowd was shouting. And they were shouting the truth. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is this blessed King of Israel, the King of the Jews. He was all of that. And they shouted even louder, Hosanna, son of David. This momentary moment at the beginning of the week, they are caught up with Jesus descending. Maybe some of them knew what Zechariah had said. Maybe some of them realized that this man is the one who had healed the lame, caused the blind to see, gave voice to the mute, and now <clears throat> had raised the dead. This man. Maybe they were thinking, could it be? Could this be the one? But it was just a moment in time. Because you see many within this crowd that was gathered on the side of the road that were shouting Hosanna, these would be the ones that on Friday were passionately yelling, crucify him. Not all, but certainly some. Some of those that were caught up in the moment were not his true disciples, were not followers of Jesus. They were just there. They saw this man coming in, and people were shouting, and they began to shout. But by the end of the week, they were caught up into another peace, another place, another time, where it was either Jesus or Barabbas. And it was, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. He's not our king. A huge contrast of proclamation just a few days after the Hosannas. So we know that <clears throat> many of those in that first group, those who were visiting there for the Passover, probably had no relation with Jesus. We know that the religious leaders certainly want him dead. We know that the Roman soldiers were not followers of Jesus. So that leaves us with one group that maybe we would have been a part of had we been there. 
Certainly, if we had listened to Jesus, if we had walked with him in his ministry, I want you to see the disciples because so often I think we look at the disciples in this moment, in this week, and we see them and we think, wow, how did they do that? Why did they run? John tells us that disciples didn't yet understand, and they only understood once Jesus came into his glory and once the Holy Spirit descended upon them, it is then that the Holy Spirit opened their eyes and they understood, they remembered. But up to that point, though they scattered at his arrest, though Peter denied him three times, though there was only one disciple at the foot of the cross, These disciples, minus Judas, they still believed. They had not rejected Jesus. They were scared. They were frightened. They didn't understand. Why has this man been arrested that we've been following? Why is he on trial? Why are they saying crucify him? In fact, they wept. They didn't understand. But they had not rejected Jesus. This is still the Peter that Jesus, before Peter denied him, said, Peter, on you I will build my church. You are the rock. These men persevered. They would end up staying the course. They were followers because they had been chosen. They had been chosen by Jesus to be the first missionaries to carry out this gospel message of who he was and what he had done. They were the first ones to carry out the message of the cross. They were the first ones to proclaim what Jesus had done. All part of the plan. And yes... They were the very ones that were willing to lay down their life for Jesus. He had laid down his life for them, and they were willing to lay down their life for him. And they did. I've always liked verse 19 of this chapter. It... um, You know, I said I wish I would have been there. I I would have loved to have been on the side of the road that day. I would have loved to have seen Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees. Because you see, in verse 19, things just aren't going right. Uh, They are worried about their power. They are worried about their authority. They are worried about everyone that is shouting. In fact, they turn on themselves. Do you see anything good coming of this? They were just pointing fingers at everyone including themselves in this frustrating scene that they saw, this alarming scene. Is this man going to be able to get all of these people to follow him? Is he going to be the one that would go against the Roman government, that would set up the right throne? Is he going to be able to do that? Would all be lost from us? They still wanted him arrested. They still wanted him dead. 
It's interesting that Jesus is in plain sight. Jesus is right there for the taking. They could have gotten him right off of that donkey and arrested him. And the Roman soldiers would have allowed it. These are the religious leaders that are in cohort with everyone else in the government. But they were afraid. Here, thousands of people are shouting loudly to the Messiah. They saw Jesus as only a man who had blasphemed their God. They were frustrated, in dismay. What can we do in this incredible moment of time? They had to remain silent on his arrest. But they began to work on that. Judas became a part of that plan. Eventually, as we see, they succeeded in his arrest. They succeeded in turning people against him. They succeeded in the hostility on Friday. They succeeded in Jesus being executed, crucified. A nation that rejected the very Messiah that God the Father provided. You see, the ride into Jerusalem that day, for most, was nothing more than just a momentary moment. It had no lasting effect. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you live in more than a momentary moment. But if that is where you are living, then I would tell you, you are not a follower of Jesus Christ. If you proclaim him Lord of Lords and King of Kings, but you have never allowed him to be Lord over your life, then you never were a follower to start with. It was just a momentary moment that you proclaimed many of these that day did exactly that same thing. But if you have professed, if you have confessed and repented of your sins, if you believe that Jesus is and who he is and what he has done as the Revelation text that I read, he was, he is, he is to come. If you believe in what he has done, if you believe in what he can do, if you believe in his word and what he has said, if you believe, then your salvation is secure. And what you are doing at this point in time is not a momentary moment, but you're living in a moment that spans from today, the very moment that we are standing together as the body of Christ, until the time that he comes for you. That's your moment of time. Because you're living in salvation. You're living in the moment that God has given you, that he has claimed you as his own. And whether he comes for you in death and gives you life, or whether he splits this place wide open and comes for all of us, we're his. We belong to him. What would you see in this momentary moment? Man, I would have loved to have been there that day. 
part of the celebration. I can, I can see these four groups that are there on the side of the road. I can see these that are there shouting. Those that were curious, just coming to see the one who had raised a man. Those who loved him. Those who hated him. And those actually who were there to protect him and protect order. I don't know about you, but I do know about me. Today, I'm a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. I proclaim the word of God. I share the gospel with all that I can as I meet others. I try to live into the great commandment to love God and to love my neighbor. I try to follow what God has proclaimed through his holy word. I try to walk daily with Jesus. And my prayer and my hope is that every single one of you do the same. That that is your proclamation of whose you are and how you live out your life. You see, we as believers are in it for the long haul. It's not a momentary moment. This is who God has called us to be. And it's because of his amazing love that we can say, he is my king. For some, it was only a moment in time. Christ is but for a moment in their life. They really never received him. But for those of us that have received Christ as Lord, this journey into Jerusalem was the start of a week like no other. There is no other week in all of history that we could really count on and see what happens when this, the Son of God, who left heaven, God himself, became God incarnate in Jesus Christ. He took on flesh. He, Jesus, became the sacrifice for you and me. This is a great week. It's a heart-wrenching week. It is a week when we picture what Jesus went through. We picture, or at least I can, those straps going against his back with pieces of bone in them. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey to start a week that would end on the cross. Think about that, folks. Let's pray. Father, there aren't even words that we could speak, words that we could lift up to say, thank you enough for Jesus. We start this Holy Week today with Hosanna. And we hear on Monday, Thursday, 
do this. On Good Friday, crucify him. But on Easter Sunday, the third day, we hear, he's alive. He's alive. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus, that he loved us enough to die, that we might have life in his name, that we would be able to conquer death in his name, that we would have eternal life forever in his name. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He holds all things in his hands. And Father, you have given us to him. And Jesus says, those whom the Father has given me, no one will snatch out of my hand. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.